and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. You know, I often ask myself uh, this question. I often ask myself, you know, how can I be stronger in this particular area or that particular area? And I think all of us kind of generally ask those questions. I mean, we, we ask those questions of ourselves when we encounter a, a situation of weakness. A situation where you know what you have in you is probably not enough on your own ability to make it through. And, um, you know, it's always that kind of litany of, you know, voices in your mind reminding you of your limitations that end up causing you to ask that question, you know, how can I, how can I be stronger emotionally? How can I be stronger uh, mentally even? Uh, how can I be stronger physically? I, I struggle with that uh, a few times, uh, a good bit in my own life. Uh, because I struggle with seasonal allergies and, you know, I can't really enjoy the outdoors as, as, as regularly as everyone else might do that. And, and to some senses, that's, I don't really mind that too much. But, you know, those questions just go through my mind. Like, why, why am I struggling with these things? Why am I struggling with these weaknesses? And it can get to the point where you begin to despise your weaknesses. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you despise if you're not sociable enough. You despise if uh, you're not um, pretty enough. You know, you despise uh, your financial situation. Uh, you despise actually disappointments and losses. Things that happen to you or things that you've done to others that have caused you personal grief. We can get in the habit of despising these things and we ask ourselves you know how can i how can i be stronger how can i just be more competent how can i just be more able to deal with these things you know in, in ministry you know people say you know there's a lot there's a lot of bumps and bruises you know it's like you don't go in and out of ministry often enough without you know occurring some wounds on the go and i've shared a little bit about my own story in that you know being in full-time ministry but there was a time uh, recently where I, I was reminded of that. Uh, I was reminded of some of the bumps and bruises I've had in ministry. And, and somebody, you know, just kind of indirectly, you know, in conversation, you know, very indirectly let me know that, you know, uh, if I didn't do a good job of uh, forgiving, if I didn't do a good job of, you know, letting go of, you know, things that were done wrong to you, then then you're not going to really be able to go back to ministry. Now, it wasn't said exactly like that. But it was sort of indirect. And um, immediately I, I received it that way, and I knew it was not true about myself up here, but in my heart, a part of me believed that. You know, maybe, maybe I can continue in full-time ministry if it's painful, if it hurts, if there are wounds. It's hard to trust people again. You know, I actually had an opportunity to, you know, sit down with our leadership team, and it was Josh and myself uh, who were commissioned in as elders at New Life. And, uh, and that was really cool because there was an opportunity for everybody in a, in a large circle to just uh, affirm us while we were there. And, and so people got a chance to just, you know, speak an encouraging word, and, you know, to me and to Josh and, and, and to our wives as well, which was really special. And in the moment... I was reminded of the comment that was made to me about not being able to get back into ministry if I didn't learn how to forgive. And all of a sudden, here I am at this commissioning. And I laughed to myself out loud. <laughs> you know, like no one else knew why I was laughing, but I laughed to myself out loud because, because Jesus spoke to my heart and, and, he, and he spoke to me and he let me know that, that what was said about me wasn't true. That, that I, I wasn't too bruised and beat up to continue. 
not because I was strong in my own ability, but because the things that I experienced, the, the weakness that I felt, the losses and the disappointments that I experienced in ministry made me dependent on him. Didn't make me strong in my own ability, but it taught me what it was like to be dependent on Jesus. Because those experiences, which were so painful at times, brought me to a place where that was all I could do. That if I wanted to continue in faith, I was going to have to depend on Jesus to make it through. And what Jesus revealed to me right there in that commissioning service, that he revealed to me that he earned my trust. He proved it to me that I didn't have to be a victim. That I could be victorious. I could be led in victory, as he says. He proved it to me. He showed it to me as I was willing to hang on by faith and depend on him. He restored in his own good time. I'm not saying I'm perfect in, in ministry whatsoever. What I'm saying is, is that the one who has called himself faithful, proved himself faithful, but through a dark time, through an area of weakness, through a, a, a disappointment, through loss, he was able to do that. You know, I think that's the wrong question sometimes that we ask ourselves. You know, how can I be stronger? You know, how can I forgive better? And how can I be more resilient and bounce back? You know, I think, I think the proper question is, what does it look like to live dependent on Jesus? Because more often than not, if we're trying to follow Jesus, our own ability in the flesh is not enough. It's 100% nothing. 100% poop. It just will not get it done. And the passage that we're going to be looking at today talks a little bit about that. Uh, it's, and it's often used when talking about, you know, little children and, and addressing children or children's ministry, for example. But if you actually look at where uh, the passage lands in, an, in, a, in, a, in a series of actions, you can kind of see how there's a bigger point being made. And Jesus is trying to get something across about what it means to be dependent on him for life. You see, we don't have to despise our weaknesses and we don't have to despise our failures and losses. We can opt to experience the kingdom of God living in and through us rather than fight for our own results. And when we're dependent on him to live, we begin to live as children of God who are dependent on him for direction. We're dependent on him to serve us, to nurture us, and bless us like little children. And what's the end result of that? The end result of a life lived in dependency on Jesus is this. It's a life lived fully known. It's a life where what we do comes out of a soul at rest. And not a soul labored with vicious anxiety. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're just making it through the day. You're just thriving. You're, you're just sweating and, and, and breaking your back to make it through whatever season of you're, you're in. And people are patting you on the back for it, but it's, it's labored with vicious anxiety. That's, that's, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. The end result of when we live dependent on Jesus is this, is that we live as loved and cherished children of God and not immature adults, you know, with childhood-developed coping mechanisms, which is what a lot of us have experienced and some of us maybe are experiencing right now. I'm really praying, you know, before we jump into this text, I'm really praying that this happens, that, that we learn what it is to live from the wealth the wealth of, of a life lived loved as loved children of God seated in his arms where he blesses us and he encourages us and he supports us. But anyway, a lot said there. Let's jump in and pray and look at this text together. 
so, so Jesus, uh, I just commit to you right now, all, I mean, all of your children. I mean, it's not enough for me to just, uh, you know, say all these things. I mean, these are your children. And so, um, I mean, even as your child now, I'm depending on you to, to encourage your family uh, through this word and through myself and to support support and encourage us if we're in a dark time, but even if we have wrestled out of one, just even just recently, we're feeling worn out. You know, encourage us now, I pray. Jesus' authority. Amen. All right. So the passage we're looking at is Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 13 to 16. And it goes like this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them, the children, in his arms, and he blessed them laying his hands on them. You know, like I said before, you know, we, we often uh, use this, this passage to just talk about, you know, how important children are. And, and I'm not saying that children aren't important, but, uh, but it's not necessarily the focus of the passage because it is, it is about children, but it's actually about the character of God. It's about Jesus saying, this is what the Father God looks like. He welcomes the, the, the least powerful people, the, the, the most vulnerable, the most broken. He welcomes those who've experienced um, uh, rejection. He, 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 he brings the most vulnerable to himself and he embraces them. And I think sometimes it's a great opportunity for us to just kind of talk about, you know, we use this passage to talk about, okay, well, look how, look how Jesus loves children. And it's true, but it's so much more. So much more than that. And, and we could see that by Jesus' response because look at his re- emotional, look at his emotional response here. It, he says, the, the scripture says that he became indignant when he saw the disciples rebuke them. And when he says rebuke them, the, the disciples are actually rebuking the adults who are bringing these children to him. And there's only two times in scripture generally that we focus on Jesus being indignant or angry. So indignant is another way of saying angry. And the first one you, you think of right away is, you know, Jesus clearing out the temple. You know, he, he, he's, he's clearing out the temple, getting rid of all the merchants that are there as, because it's a place of worship. But the other place where we really, we never usually think about it on this topic, right? He gets mad. Indignant is another way of saying undignifiedly. He was so upset. He, he changed his tone immediately and said, you know, you cannot rebuke them. Bring them to me. And then all of a sudden we see that switch where he becomes this, this gentle father. And, he, and he's embracing the children and blessing them and laying his hands on them. It's beautiful. You know, we, sometimes we condemn the fact that we have such strong emotions. We hate our strong emotions. Jesus wasn't afraid of strong emotions. He demonstrated them. But he demonstrated exactly where it mattered. So we need to understand what was he expressing here in this moment. So you have to take a look at this whole passage. This passage is part of a journey that Jesus is making from Galilee to Jerusalem. And his book ended at the top of it with the transfiguration. So the disciples see, you know, Jesus, you know, talking with Elijah and Moses on the mountain. And then it's bookended on the other end by the triumphal entry. So it's, it's, it's basically this whole passage, this whole action is, is sort of a rising action towards Jesus going to the cross. And in this rising action, this is where we get this story. And what's happening in this story is, especially in the book of Mark, it's very interesting. There's a contrast happening where you see that the disciples are feuding and fighting with each other about who is going to be greatest. Like, can you imagine that? Like, the disciples are, are, are going to, right now, to the cross. They're going to like the, the, the greatest moment in human history, and they're fighting about which one of them is the greatest. And their disciples' ignorance is getting more and more evident. They're feuding over each other about who will be first. Uh, they're getting angry with each other. 
Uh, and they're confused. They're actually confused when Jesus says things like, I'm going to be flogged and I'm going to be beaten, but then I'll, be, and I'll rise in three days. And they just don't get it. They think it's about them. And all of a sudden now they're pushing children away. Now in Mark chapter 9, which is where all of this action is happening, Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus using children uh, to start with in, in, in addressing where the disciples were at. And we see this in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. He says this, And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be the least and the servant of all. This is Jesus responding to the disciples' sort of ignorance. And what he does, he takes a child, and he puts the child in the midst of them, and taking the child in his arms. What did we just read? Jesus is in the habit of taking children into his arms and embracing them. And he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me, um, receives not me, but him who sent me. So he's trying to get something across to them. It's not about being the best. It's not about being the strongest. They, the question isn't, how can I be strong in my own ability? Jesus is pointing to them. Is pointing, uh, is pointing to this child and, and, and calling the disciples' attention to this child and saying, listen, you have to be as, as simple trusting. You have to be as dependent as this child. So that brings us to our passage, right? That brings us to our passage and why Jesus is all of a sudden getting angry now in Mark 10. Because they missed it the first time. They didn't get it. Don't push the children away. Don't miss this lesson. You have to be as simple trusting and as dependent and as vulnerable, and as insignificant. You have, you have to understand the value of children right now in the Roman culture. It's like, it's, it's like it, it are not of high value. There's no child welfare. They, they're, they're not considered of the same value as we consider children now. And the disciples looked at these people trying to bring children, and they're like, this is a waste of time. We don't have time for this. Jesus needs to tell which one of us is the, is the greatest, and we need to find that out. So please push those, get those children out of here. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Please bring them to me. Now, the one word that we need to focus on here very, very quickly is this word child. Now, in the Greek, the child has two um, different translations. But obviously, in English, we just have the one. So you see the one used all the time. And uh, the one is the word technon, which would mean sort of an elementary age child. However, the other word is the word hadion. And padion means a little child. Padion means, uh, you know, some commentators say sort of either seven years and younger or three years and younger. These, these, are the, these are the type of children that they're bringing to Jesus so that he can, so he can bless them. And Jesus is saying, you have to be like a toddler, like the most helpless. You have to be like one of them in order to receive the kingdom, but not only receive it, but to enter it. And so what, what is he saying about us? Well, he's saying that we have to be that weak. We have to, we have to understand what it is to be so dependent. What's the, what's the characteristics of a, of a child of that age? Well, they are, they are willingly dependent. They're aware of their need for help. They're, they're, they're messy. Uh, they're, they're loud. Uh, they, um, their, their highs are highs and their lows are lows. Their yeses are yeses and their noes are noes. You, you, you know uh, generally what you're going to get from them, generally. But what, what's the characteristic is that they're just so trusting and so dependent. And um, obviously if you have toddlers now, you know what that feels like. I know what that feels like uh, to, to have that, uh, to, to guard your toddlers uh, from from anything in and around them that uh, will harm them because they're in and on everything. Like they're so dependent on me to just keep them alive. You know, I, th I think that's a real badge of a parent is if you're at least able to keep your child alive, you know, until they're at least seven years of age. Like that's pretty, it's a lot of work. And they are so dependent on us. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is what it looks like. Simple trust and willing dependence on me. Now, why, why is that significant to us? It's significant to us because 
What, what reminds us of our dependence on Jesus? Well, we could say, you know, Scripture, you know, maybe sometimes good things happening here or there remind us of that. But nothing reminds you more than weakness. Areas of your life that aren't together, things that just don't come quickly to you. Um, losses, failures, disappointments, things that we despise. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jesus values our strengths. He, I mean, he gave you your strengths, and he wants to express himself through your strengths, but let's not behave like he doesn't value the things in our lives that make us weak. Let's not act like the things in our lives uh, that, that we consider undesirable, that he would have no use for them. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we, we, we're... I'm encouraging sin in any way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, is that when we present in pure dependence on him the things that we're struggling with, when we come to him for life, we don't go to other coping mechanisms to survive based on the things that we're experiencing. Listen, you just take all of the challenges that we have faced over these last few months and all the changes that have been part of that, and it's been very easy to find other coping mechanisms to deal with the stress of it. But Jesus is calling us not to run to anything else but to him as a willing and trusting child who is dependent on their heavenly father to care for them. And that is how you receive the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wild? Um, I, I just want to tell you one, I want to tell you one story before we move on, because I want to talk about the kingdom of God. But I have this one story. Uh, that, you know, I don't think, I haven't thought about it often. I hadn't thought about it often until maybe this year. And I was together uh, with, uh, uh, oh, Ross, you were there, and, uh, and Josh was there. I think Greg was there as well. I think there was a group of us who were together having, um, having a meal, and, uh, and, I, and I brought up this story about, you know, how I, I don't like, you know, boiled hot dogs and boiled rice, and I have a good reason for it, Okay. I have a good, good reason for it. I just cannot handle the smell of it. And for this particular reason, because I was a toddler uh, and I was a part of a daycare uh, in, in Ottawa. And this daycare was actually run by nuns. Uh, I think it was St. Anthony's daycare or something like that. And, uh, and so I remember it fairly well. I remember certain pieces of, uh, I have certain pieces of memory from it, but I have this one particular memory that I can remember so well. And uh, I remember that, they put all of us kids to have a nap time in this one part of the, uh, of the nunnery. And we, I remember there's all these cots, and I remember I was sleeping on this one cot, and we just had a delicious lunch of boiled hot dogs and boiled rice. Listen, these nuns are loving people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I mean, it just, that's what they fed us. So anyway, we, we ate that, and I remember that I actually, if you don't mind, I threw up. I vomited. Uh, when I was um, in my cot during nap time, and I vomited, and it made a big mess, and I was lying there kind of beside it, and as a child, I was really ashamed that I'd grown up, and, and you know what that's like, or at least if you have a toddler, you've seen it, you know, you just feel really ashamed, and I remember that, and I remember I just kind of laid beside it, and then when the nap time was over, I kind of got up and kind of covered up and, and went. I remember this. Um, and I kind of brought it up and, and, and we were all talking about it. I brought the story and then Ross is like, Ross is like, in a, in a pure counselor prophetic way, he's like, he's like, um, and so where was Jesus, you know, in that trauma and that experience? Well, everybody who was there laughed and I laughed too. I thought it was funny. I was like, ha, 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 you know, but inside I was like. Oh, man. And afterwards, I went home and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I haven't thought about that in years. You know, maybe I'm going to take Josh up on Josh. Sorry, I'm going to take Ross up on this. And so, you know, I, the next morning, I, you know, I just kind of brought it before Jesus and, and asked him. I said, where, Jesus, where were you in, in that moment? I haven't thought about that in years. Do you think you could show me? And he did. 
he gave me this picture of um, here's the cot, and I'm lying on it, and there's the vomit. And he gave me a picture of him just kind of putting his knees underneath the, the cot, and then him covering himself over me. And I thought I was doing such a great job of my own strength as a child to cover up the area that I felt weak and scared. But Jesus gave me a picture of how he was protecting me for myself. Probably a moment of shame that could have told me something about my value as a young child. And yet here was Jesus revealing to me and healing that memory to me. And he's protecting me from even those negative voices against myself that come from myself, that come from the flesh. And I was with you the whole time. Man, now when I think back on it, it's not a moment of shame. Jesus turned that memory of shame into something that when I think about it, it's a memory of joy because he redeemed it. He took a memory of shame and he redeemed it to be a memory of joy. And he revealed to me that I was always his beloved boy. I was always his lovely child. And I could always depend on him to protect me. You know, what does it look like for us to, to live dependent on Jesus? It means, it looks like not despising your weaknesses and failures and losses and areas of shame. Because it's those things that remind us of how dependent we are on him to protect us, to care for us, to nurture us, to love us, and to live through us. Man, it's it's never fun to go through them, but what what Jesus is confident in doing through your weaknesses and failures, areas of shame and disappointment and losses, it's amazing. Um, and, 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 and the truth is that it's a reminder to us because we are dependent on him. I mean, we are not like independent of him and then running back to be dependent on him. It's like, no, like, like we have actually been created that way. I mean, the essence of our existence died with Jesus on the cross. So the original spirit that you had that was corrupted by sin it died with Jesus on the cross. And then when Jesus was rose, rose to life again, he didn't renew that old spirit. He got rid of it. He disposed it, disposed of it. And then he gave you a new spirit, a new spirit that was qualified to be united with his spirit. And so now we have been made worthy of love. Now we have been created worthy to receive the kingdom of God. And his spirit is now joined with our spirit. So we are dependent. That's just the truth. We have now been created dependent on him. And that was always part of the original design. I mean, Adam was created to be dependent on God because it was God's spirit that gave him life. It wasn't the fact that he had a body and and, and a soul. I mean, all of that was, was inactive until the spirit was breathe into it. And so in this way, we are completely and absolutely dependent on him for life. And now we have a new life been joined with him. It's, it's wonderful. And so sometimes we just need to be reminded that that is the truth. We've been joined together with him. And sometimes, you know, it's those weaknesses, it's those moments of failure and loss that remind us of that the most. So it's not a chance to, for us to despise them, but it's an opportunity for us to be brought back to the truth. Because the truth is, is that each and every one of us have been born of God. We have been born of God. That's what 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father, uh, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born in him. So the main thing I want us to focus on is that, is that we have been now born of God. And you see how Jesus responds to children who weren't even related to him? <laughs> I mean, we, we have been now born of God. We are, we are thoroughly related to him now in our spirit. And so 
how much more is he willing to fight for us in our struggles, in our failures, in our weaknesses? How much more willing is he to be indignant if there is something or someone that is getting in the way of his desired intimacy with us? Sometimes it's the things we're holding on to. Sometimes it's the things that we think are of more value than him. Sometimes it's the things that we are pretending we're dependent on. Maybe you're feeling like you're dependent on alcohol to make it through, you know, the last few months. Maybe you're feeling like you're dependent on, um, on Netflix and entertainment to make it through or, or, or video games or, or some kind of distraction to, to make it through the stresses of this life. Jesus is willing to uproot those things so that you can come to the fullness of truth about who you are, that you have been made dependent on him and that he loves you and he is more than willing to support and strengthen you during your stressful times. But again, look at this passage. What is this passage saying? It's saying, well, it means that if you, you cannot receive the kingdom of God until, uh, unless, un, unless you receive it like a child, and so let's talk about the kingdom of God for just a little bit. Now, the kingdom of God uh, is, a, is a way of describing uh, very, very much so like heaven on earth. I think the, the, I think the best example of the kingdom of God that we have is actually uh, Adam and Eve in the garden before uh, the fall. Why is that? Because, I mean, a kingdom is just basically that, you know, um, it's basically a place where an individual reigns has complete dominion, and God does have complete dominion. I mean, he is completely fully in charge. However, the difference is this, is that in the garden, he had complete dominion, but he also had mankind as his full and absolute image on the earth. And so Adam was made in the image of God. Eve was made in the image of God. And they had full dominion over the earth, and they were commanded to bear fruit and be um, to to be fruitful and to multiply. So, so what would happen? So that God's image and His representation and His glory would cover the earth, and that is the closest thing that we've ever come to being able to see and understand that. But then, obviously, Adam sins, and and Eve sins. And they give birth to a son, and their son is made in the image of Adam now, no longer in the image of God. And so the kingdom of God has been suspended until Jesus arrives. And that's why Jesus says things like this. He says, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is almost upon you. Uh, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. You can't receive the kingdom of God unless you come to the God as a penitent child. So what does that even mean? It means that for us to receive the kingdom of God means that God needs to come and abide and have his kingdom inside of you so that his image is recreated in humanity. I mean, obviously we know he's in control of all things, but, the, but his image, his representation, representation on the earth has now been restored through the gospel, through the cross. So your old person your old soul, your old, sorry, spirit has been removed and now your new spirit is present and it's joined with Jesus. You're dependent on him and he wants to live and express the kingdom of God through you. So wherever you go, you bring the kingdom of God with you. So it's something that we receive, but it's also something that we enter into. And so Jesus talks about that as well. It's something that will be fulfilled. We will see it in full. Uh, we have new spirits now, but now our bodies that have been corrupted by sin will die, which is a good thing, because we will be given new bodies, new restored bodies. I mean, a body is what makes you human. So we're going to have that new experience of a new body connected now to our new, newly made spirit. And so what does it look like to live, you know, dependent on Jesus? It looks like this. It looks like we live and we express the kingdom of God, the image and representation of God wherever we go, from a soul of rest, because that is what Jesus wants to do through us. He wants us to depend on him to do that. Not for us to do it in our own ability. It comes out of a soul of rest, not a soul labored with vicious anxiety to look like the kingdom of God, to, to, to look like Jesus. 
Jesus wants to express his image and his representation through us. Sometimes we're reminded of that through the weaknesses that we experience and things that we experience too that, that bring us back to that understanding. But when we do, it, it, it's, a, it's a glorious and safe place where he wants to work through us in all the situations of our lives. And the last thing quickly, because I want us to get us to, to communion really um, as quick as we can now. Is, is this part, I want to read just verse uh, 16 again. And Jesus said this, and he and, um, didn't say this, but he, he did this. And he took them in his arms. Now, this is the children. And he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, that word bless is very, very important. Okay, Because that, that word bless, if you look at it in Hebrew, this is what um, would have been... Uh, sort of the root language by which Aramaic came, which was Aramaic was the actual original language by which this uh, story would have been understood, and then Mark would have had to translate it into Greek. And that word actually means lightning. It actually means like something from above. Um, and then that, that word, uh, I'm going to get it wrong now because I don't have it written down, but I believe it's kataloguo, kata I think it is. Um, but that is the Greek word for, for blessed. And... In that root word is the word logos. And logos is a Greek word for word, for thing. So it's to, to give a good thing, to, to speak a good word. Um, what does it look like for us uh, to live as dependent children of God? It means that we receive. We're able to put ourselves in a place where we're able to stop fighting and squabbling for our own piece of the pie, but instead to receive blessing from him, to receive from him a good word. And when we live our lives not looking for that affirmation all the time from other people in order to find healing or sustenance, when we go to him to receive that blessing, he is more than happy to do it. It's like, it was like Jesus saying, okay, this is, this is how you receive the kingdom of God like a child. You let me hold you. You let me embrace you. You let me bless you and say a good word to you. Can you imagine the worth of that moment? Can you imagine the parents, like their delight? Like what would Jesus be saying to these children? He, I mean, you can only imagine, like maybe, maybe he just, you know, speaks a, a good calming word to the child and... and you know, uh, maybe, maybe something just about, you know, who they will be and, and, and it says something to encourage the parents. or Like, what, what a blessing it is to have Jesus in the, in the flesh right there blessing those children. Well, you know, we live and experience that. We can live and experience that as dependent children of God who have been born of God. We can experience that in his embrace, in prayer. If you're, if you're stopping to pray, you know, maybe if you're driving in your vehicle, maybe you're reading something, maybe you're listening to something and you know what I'm talking about. It's those moments when Jesus breaks through the noise of whatever you're experiencing and doing. And he encourages you and he speaks to your heart and affirms who you are in him. That he delights in you. That you have been made worthy of love. You know, I would never take a shovel. I would never take a gardening shovel. Um... There I go with gardens again. There you go, gardening gang. Here I go. But I would never take a gardening shovel to eat a bowl of Lucky Charms. Why? Because it wasn't made for that. It was made to shovel up dirt. Um, even if I took a clean one, I still, it just wouldn't work. It doesn't make any sense. You, mean, you, you use a spoon because that's not what it was made to do. It was made to eat cereal. Well, you, you were made to be loved. You were recreated in Jesus born of God as a child of God, to be embraced by him, to be blessed by him, to be encouraged by him. So what does it look like to receive the kingdom of God? What does it look like to be dependent children of God? It, 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 it just, it looks like us pausing and resting and receiving his love and care for us. 
And when we do that, the end result is that we lived as loved and cherished children of God and not as immature adults, you know, with, with childhood developed coping mechanisms. We can actually get our brains reconfigured, you know, to, uh, to see ourselves properly. I'm going to say this one quick thing. Let's prepare right now for communion, but I want to say this one quick thing before we do that. You know, a lot of scientists would say that those first few years of a toddler, so a padeon, um, you know, maybe up until age seven, that during this time, this time of development is very important because this is where a lot of children's personalities are shaped. I think I've read it several times. I said, usually different years. Usually some people say four years, some people say about, maybe about seven years. But during this time, this is when your personalities are shaped and your even your brain is, is beginning to be shaped by your experiences. And so if you were a child who experienced a lot of neglect and maybe a lot of shame, um, shaming, maybe you experienced a lot of hurt or abuse, that would begin to shame, begin to shape, sorry, how your brain is being developed, how you're able to think about yourself, how your body reacts to stressors. It's just that those, those immediate foundations for who you are as a person are being built. So imagine this now, that we've been called to be little children, to be dependent on Jesus. We've been born of God to now receive a reprogramming. So whatever was missed, you know, in the flesh, you know, um, as, as a child, we have an opportunity when we go to him to have a good word spoken over us, to have his love received, to have his peace received. And what happens is that over time, even our, our personalities are shaped and we're becoming more like the default that we have become. We're leaving the, leaving the default of what it was like to be, you know, under the law and, 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 um, and having like these old, you know, corrupted spirits. And now we've come into this new default where we're beloved children of God and we are righteous. And he constantly reminds us and reprograms our thinking and our personalities. And I, and I would say even our bodies begin to shape and begin to be healed too because we're beginning to think better about ourselves. Our stressors aren't as high. We're, 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 we're looking towards the future with hope now. Maybe anxiety isn't as strong as it used to be because we're going to him and receiving from him blessing, his embrace. We're learning to be dependent on him rather than solving things in our own ability. So right now I'd like to encourage you to, um, if you have them with you, to just take the elements, <clears throat> the elements, not earth, wind, and fire. Oh, how much I love saying that. Um, but uh, if, you, if you have you know, something to uh, to eat with or something to drink with. And I would just encourage you to receive that right now. And uh, I would say just take the, whatever you wanted to eat with and I just want you to hold it in your hand. I just want to say something quick about this person of Jesus who we've been, who we've been joined with and who we're dependent on. You know, um, Philippians chapter two says this, and I think it's such an important verse for us uh, to consider at this time. It says this about Jesus. Does have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in, in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is it like to, to live dependent on Jesus? Well, first and foremost is to acknowledge that he knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be emptied of yourself. He knows what it is to, to suffer abuse. He knows what it is to, to know rejection. He knows what it is to, um, to experience the shaming or the, or, the, or the abandonment of friends. He, he, he emptied himself he demonstrated himself to be the servant of all by dying on a cross and suffering um, a terrible, terrible, humiliating death so that you also, by believing in him, could also die with him, that you might be brought 
now to new life. So uh, let's eat of his broken body together. Scriptures say that, you know, when Jesus was together with the disciples, he, he also took a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. He, he demonstrated to them what it's going to look like. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we practice this. It's an opportunity for us to remember that not only was his body broken for us in his great sacrifice, but also his blood was shed for us as well. For the forgiveness of sins. And so now we have the opportunity to be reminded of the fact that we have also passed, but we also passed with him, but we've also now been raised to life too. So let's take um, a drink of your beverage that you have in hand. Let's take a chance, um, a bit of time now, uh, to just reflect on uh, what we've taken part in together.
is the epitome of strength. I mean, if we can relate our lives to anything in this moment, it is so important for us to remember that, that it's His grace. He is holding us, you know. Even what Paul says, I think it's in, I believe it's in 2 Timothy, but just be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's not an opportunity for you to be strong in your own ability, despising your weaknesses, despising your losses and failures, uh, despising areas where you, you, in your life that aren't up to snuff in comparison to everyone else. I mean, if it's on your mind anyway, let it be an opportunity for you to look to Jesus. Let it, to, let it be an opportunity for you to be strong in, the, in His grace, to be received by His love and receive a blessing from Him today. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.